0: everyone. Andrew here from On Off Topic. So we're all working remote these days and uh, this podcast is no different. We had uh, Alex Grabow on as a guest and occasionally his audio kind of dropped out a little bit. It's not a big deal. You'll just have to listen through it. It's only for a few seconds here and there but you'll pretty much get the gist of everything. Uh, I didn't want to scrap the episode over a couple minor issues like that. So anyways on with the show. Welcome to episode 185 of Auto Off Topic, and welcome back, Brad, and welcome back uh, to our guest for this episode, Alex Grabau. Alex joined us back for episode 29 in 2017, before the Mount Washington, yeah, climb to the clouds, uh, 2017. That was three years ago, and 156 episodes. (laughs) Feels like it was yesterday. To me, it guys. feels like it was, yeah. It feels like it was a really long time ago, right? Yeah, it
1: definitely. It being quite sarcastic there.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for having me back, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you back, and um, we kind of wanted to talk about. We never had you back to recap your climb to the clouds effort, so I thought maybe we could talk about that for a little bit. Um, and I also want to mention though, so. You are prepping for the 2020 event and we'll get to that. The record date of this show is, uh, today is April 6th, 2020. So uh, people probably know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. So uh, right now they still have climb of the clouds scheduled for July 10th through 12th. Yeah. Sorry. July 10th through 12th, 2020. So as of now, the event is still on. So we'll see. And hopefully we'll get this event, but, um, Alex, how did that 2017 Clown of the Clouds event end up going for you?
2: Well, it was pretty much storybook as far as I could tell. Um, Right from the beginning, my goal was to get on the podium. I chose the category based on uh, Travis and David being in that category. As you guys can probably tell, you can do some shopping around based on the rules. Um, This year's looks especially strange, but... Uh, I didn't think that I'd get second, obviously. I didn't think that David was going to crash. Uh, and I, I i didn't want him to, obviously. I thought it would be really cool. felt like third was sort of where I belonged. Um, but uh, it, was, it was quite a surprise to get second, I'd say. Um, car ran well. We didn't have any problems, really. Like, nothing... No emergency moments that came up. It was really well planned, and I think that's an advantage. Have, you know, or it's an it's an outcome of having three years between events. You have plenty of time to fix stuff.
1: Well, uh, let let us be the the first to congratulate you. You know, for a three years later on your second <laughs> place. <laughs> Thanks,
2: guys. No one's mentioned it yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, 2017 was was a neat year because, you know, they had the big names. You mentioned Travis and David. So, actually, obviously, for those who don't know, is uh, Travis Pastrana, who's a fairly well-known, you know, action sports figure and rally car driver now. And David Higgins, who's a world-renowned rally car driver. So, I mean, I I think the goal to, to finish third is a pretty lofty goal, even when they're just the top two. And the fact that you did beat David, and unfortunately he crashed, but that doesn't take away your second place at all. That's quite a feat, and we were super happy to see you up there.
2: Thanks, guys. Uh, Yeah, I, you know, there are still a lot of fast people. It doesn't have the depth of, like, Pike's Peak sometimes. It really goes year to year, but there, there are still a lot of fast people that unfortunately don't get a whole lot of mention. And, you know, they... Some people think they can do Climb to the Clouds as a first event in place really high. I think that's probably unlikely uh, unless you're a professional driver. And, you know, some people had bad luck. Their cars broke or they were fighting their, fighting their cars all weekend. Um, I think that – I don't think the super chicken was in my class, Paul Tingo, but he was definitely one of them, you know, having one of the fastest cars on the hill. Normally his car was just a disaster that weekend. So it really uh, shows, you know, about luck and preparation. Everything really has to come together.
1: Yeah. It's a neat event and how it's, it's run for those, again, not familiar with the event completely. It's, it's, it's class-based. So you have somebody like yourself or Pastrana or Higgins in a full bodied, you know, full caged rally car. But then there's also people like, the super chicken who are specials built specifically for hill climbing. So obviously, you know, a second place in your class doesn't mean you were the second fastest guy at the mountain. It means you were second fastest in your class. So yeah, there's a lot of other people that certainly don't get the mention that, you know, maybe a more recognizable person would, or somebody like yourself who was running against Travis and David would certainly benefit from the national press of that as well.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And selfishly, that's why I chose that class because I knew Based on Subaru's presence, and also that my car really the the intent of that class. While being older, it's still very similar uh, in design to those Subarus. You know, big turbo, all-wheel drive car. The other categories, though, were really competitive. Todd uh, Cook uh name's Todd cook um came out from pikes and there were some other drivers out there a few drivers from pikes that were super fast in those coyotes uh and uh, obviously tingle didn't have a great great amount of luck that weekend but uh he was there and uh bill you know my friend bill washburn he you know it really under the radar, but he was faster than I was in his him.
1: Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was fifth overall, was he not?
2: Right. Yeah, and, and you know, and just the credit—it doesn't get talked about as much, you know, if you're not in that in that main show kind of class. But he, you know, he ran a faster time than me. Who Yeah,
1: that that car is quite a developed chassis too. That's there's, not, there's <laughs> not much left of 240SX in that car anymore.
2: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, developed.
0: Yeah. And the weather is such a huge thing too. It just happened to work out the weather was decent, you know, that for that morning or that afternoon when the runs were done. So yeah, that's something that doesn't get mentioned as much about
1: um, Mount Washington as it does Pikes Peak is that the change in elevation and the change in weather from the top to the bottom or bottom to the top, I should say. You know, yeah. 80, 80 and sunny at the bottom and 37 and windy up top. So it can be a, a, a big change in the car, and you know that obviously a lot of the the older vehicles and a lot of the the uh, full tube frame carbureted vehicles have issues with that.
2: Yeah, we we uh, well, first off, that's absolutely true, and I think that something that's subtle about the weather and that can be very cruel is that it can change on the run, and uh, if some clouds roll in, which they do all the time, for the person behind you that could cost him 30 seconds and it might not be rain. It could just be a, a bunch. It's really high up there. It could be a bunch of clouds and suddenly you can't see anything and you forget where you are. And what, a, what a bummer that is. But but last year, so I guess what I'm saying is that if it was raining for everybody then fine, it's just raining. But if the guy in front of you had a dry run, then you get a wet one because it's drizzling off and on all day. That's really a bummer. And it's just, hill climb it's the
1: way it goes um, yeah unfortunately yeah. I think that that situation is even even stronger at a place like Mount Washington or bikes peak instead of you know your local regional hill climb just because of the the drastic change in in Terra from from base to, to peak it's just such a absolutely such a changing changing environment It's I know a really
2: moody area too
1: yeah I know I spent most of the day um pretty high on the mountain between I'd say the last i don't know half mile to a mile um from finish line to about you know about a half mile down and uh, it was it was certainly cold up there and, and borderline uncomfortable most of the day
2: yeah yeah uh and the altitude that's another thing you're mentioning carbureted cars last so in 2017 one of the big changes we made to the car was add up a uh, barometric pressure sensor uh I bought a GM map sensor essentially we wired that in to have some altitude compensation and i think that really helped a lot um i don't have any proof that it did but it felt better and i didn't have any drivability problems so that was a very small change like 30 dollar change yeah, i would
1: i would say that a uh a second in class is proof enough that it worked so. <laughs> yeah, true it's funny the uh, GM electronics seem to be a go-to for a lot of um, <laughs> modifying older cars.
2: Yeah, yeah, they really do. It's it's so weird. They, I guess they're plentiful and they're cheap. Well, uh, they
1: do they do all the research for for another purpose, and then you get to advantage it for something else. I know. I just yeah. changed the ignition in my 1978 Toyota pickup truck to a GM coil. Just because really. it's you know it's yeah. easier easier to get more affordable and, and simpler.
2: So, yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm a, uh, a kind of person that likes to have spare too. So if there's an opportunity to get to to specify part on the car that is widely used, get because you know to uh, have a breakdown and, and not be able to replace a sensor because you bought a fancy one uh, from your that
1: would be a win. Yeah, that was exactly part part of my thought too. When when changing the Toyota part, I was like, well, I could search the original Toyota part, or I could buy yeah. this GM part. That when I drive this thing on a road trip somewhere, God forbid it fails, I can just stop at Napa and buy a new one. Yep. So yep. it's yes. cer- certainly an advantage, and 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 as we've learned. You know, through other through you, know, you and other friends who have built rally cars, it's it's always good to have parts availability for your car and, and not run that super rare car or super rare part because you're gonna need it and it's gonna ruin a whole weekend and cost thousands of dollars because you didn't get to run your car and it was one dumb part that broke.
2: So it always is. You get this huge upfront investment, in lodging, and entry fee, and fuel, and tuning, and all these things that just pile on. Man. Uh, for four, 2014 i brought a lot of spares and then in 17 i had everything except an engine i over those three years i was able to collect parts and get everything except the spare engine now i almost have an engine too uh, so it'd be pretty cool like if, if there was a major failure i'd have just about everything to fix unless there was a big crash i would be a different story.
1: Well, we hope that 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 doesn't happen for sure. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually looking through some old uh, camera memory cards this past week, and uh, I came across some pictures of your car back when it was, you know, back in the old DSG days in assembly. Um, It was in the shop still being being built. You guys had like a barbecue cookout or something there one day. Oh,
2: cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I I just stumbled across those pictures the other day. I'll have to get them over to you somehow
2: yeah uh, i'd love to see those that's cool man we had a few of those we did a few but like even looking back uh so many years ago i feel like we tried a lot of different stuff and I'm proud of that proud of that effort that we, that we made to find new customers and do some sort of out there events to get people to notice us
1: yeah well i know that in, in the pictures there's um like Ronan and Lagemann Subaru was there. So it's definitely during, during the heyday of, of time. Over oh, there. cool. Cool. A very, a very neat time.
2: Yeah. It was, it was probably, probably close to the end, probably 2010 or something.
1: I'd say it was probably late 09, early 2010, based on what my car yeah. was. That I had in yeah. the, picture.
2: the funny time that we could do an entire podcast on how absolutely stressful and disastrous that was while also being super cool and, interesting well
1: oh, certainly certainly made you your, your name in the area that's for sure
2: <laughs> yeah we were four guys running three open uh, three cars two like group N cars which they called some something else back then and then an open class car um, it was too much we took on a lot and it, it did us but we we did okay it just it was very stressful
1: yeah. Well, it was cool. From the outsider's perspective, I know Andrew and I were
2: both there, <laughs> and we both were in awe the whole time. So, oh, well, thank yep. you. Thank you. I can't remember what that class was called. Uh, it's just on the. Top of my it's like the American version of Group N. And Subaru had the contingency program. And they were paying back money.
0: Was it like Super Production GT or
2: something? Not, not super Production GT is one above that. Oh, i hmm. to
0: think of it. Well, speaking of efforts, uh, yeah. as far as climb to the clouds, there, um, your friend—I forget his last name—Nick. He's a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a film on the event, climb to the clouds event, with the Pleasure Evo, and it's actually on Amazon Prime. It is. And, and I think I'm blanking on the actual title of it. I in the notes just like Pleasure Efo movie, but I know it's called something else. What is it called? Do you... I
2: honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could be it could be Pleasure Evo movie. Uh, you'll probably hear this and have a laugh about this. Let me look it up. I'll... <laughs> uh so Nick is a filmmaker from New Hampshire. It's it's Climb to the Clouds featuring. The Pleasure Evo. Uh, yeah, right.
1: I, was, I was just going to say that. Uh, it's, very, it's very specific and to the point.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, Nick is a friend of mine through bikes. Um, he makes movies for a living, a lot of commercial video, but he's a really creative person. And this was sort of a new area that he could sort of get into. So he felt it would be a cool project. Um, I certainly felt it would be a cool project. So. We figured out a way to, to make it work uh, for his crew and for us. And uh, he found a sponsor to help uh, pay for his crew. And then I agreed to put them up uh, for the week. And uh, it just worked out. They it, uh, it did a great job. And man, they worked really hard. They were, they, in the, in the middle, while it was happening, I think they were all saying, we're never going to do this again. But then in the end, I think everybody was like, damn, that was pretty cool, including me. Uh, yeah. It was just, They would believe you go know, up the hill super early, 7 a.m. or something like that, and come down at the end of the day. It was a long day. For the guy.
0: I know they set up like, I remember they set up like a camera, uh, like a cable shot. Yes. Uh, during one of the, there's like one kind of straight section above the mm-hmm. tree line. Yep. And I remember seeing it like it's, it was—he had like two ladders set up, with, like a cable camera, and it was such a cool shot that the uh, production crew for the Team
2: Subaru actually,
0: I think, paid him for footage.
2: Yeah, for, uh, they did. That's right. Yeah, uh, uh, Warwick. Uh, yeah, they, they collaborated a little bit after that. Yeah, that's that's like Nick's his bread and butter. He knows he knows a good shot. He'll. He doesn't care how long it takes to set up. I was like, dude, that's going to take too long. It looks too hard. It pays off. He's got the right personality for it. Uh, But it was cool. It was cool to take them. And it was cool to see uh, friends from sort of a different area of my life really enjoy uh, motorsport and see what it's all about. And, of course, at the end, we had a really nice... Weekend altogether, and a nice video that, that uh, Nick can add to his portfolio. And, uh, so overall, it was great. I, I don't think we'll be able to do it again without uh, a real sponsor knowing now how much work it is. Uh, but uh, here's to hoping anyway.
0: Yeah, well, it's on Amazon Prime, and uh, everybody who's hanging out at home. Good time to watch it. I think it's like 20, 30 minutes. Maybe yeah, 40 yeah minutes.
2: it's about 30 minutes, I think.
0: Yeah, it's not super long, but it's like it will keep you engaged for that uh, whole time. So it's really cool. And I, of course, have a cameo in it.
2: You do. That's right.
0: <laughs> not that you can make
2: it
1: oh, no. me, but I know it's me because I know where I was standing when you went by. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's cool.
1: I thought that was funny. My, my my daughter didn't believe me that I you could see me on Amazon Prime, so I had to show her that video a while back, <laughs> just as a uh, kind of a joke. And she does she doesn't believe it's me because again, you can't you know. Of course. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just a, I'm just a grayed out guy on the side, but
2: yeah,
1: definitely a, uh, one of those one of those moments I got her to watch some rally racing for a little bit. <laughs>
2: That's cool.
1: So what's the, uh, what's the plan for, for this year? What's the, uh, what are the changes, major changes, anything you're going to do differently running the same class? Uh, do you know who else is planning on running? I don't know what the, uh, what's been allowed to be said or who's announced things or.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have seen a start list. It's on Motorsport Red. I think it's public. Um, For some basic info. I think that the start list was really uh, held back for a bit because Subaru uh, might not have known who was going to drive and I'm still not even really sure that Subaru has their drivers listed. Although we know it's Travis and Brandon, their new driver most likely. so that, that, I was I was wondering about that for a while because they said they were going to announce it and we waited probably a month past that date to hear who was in uh, in the race. Um, there are the same categories and the same rules as before, but the selections are weird. There's uh, I'm trying to think what car was now. There's some really old cars with V8s in Unlimited that are like full uh, full bodied cars. Um, there is uh, one of those coyotes in my class. Um, Tingoed is un- unlimited. It's just gonna be weird. like the the line between open class and unlimited is very blurred and they it's almost like they're the same thing. and if you read the rules, there's no way to really understand what car is in what class. So I thought that was weird. But, um, yeah.
1: That doesn't almost doesn't sound like a fair setup to have a Coyote car it, in the same.
2: It doesn't. It seems kind of weird. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to be switching around at the last minute. Personally, I'm okay with it. There's always going to be something that I try not to focus in on these things too hard and obsess about them because, like we were saying, the weather changes, people's cars break. And I feel like you just bring bad karma on yourself if you start complaining about things. It's like, just do the event, have the best event you can possibly have, and the cards fall, fall where they live. But um, not- yeah, as, as far as changes go, um, to the Evo, I've done a lot of stuff since 14. It doesn't really feel like it, but uh, I noticed for the first time that the car was a little under braked. And I made a point in practice in middle of the week to try to and knowing that if I was using the brakes, I was entering turns as fast as I could could be. So as I got more practiced on the course, I found that even at low boost, I didn't have enough brakes. So that was like the first thing on the list: get a a better brake kit. So got a Brembo Motorsport uh, brake kit on the car now, like radial mount calipers, and uh, that's up front. And the rear is just like standard Evo seven, eight, nine, versus uh, with like a conversion. Uh, adapter from this place in New Zealand uh, to adapt the uh, larger motor and the caliper, and then uh, the new spindles up front. So Evo, this is this where it gets weird. They're Evo five, six spindles and bearings and hubs. Really, the bearings all the same for all Mitsubishi. So, uh, but now the advantages. You can you get those four bolt replaceable bearings. You can just like pop out and do at the event if you have a problem, versus like pressing the hub apart. And uh, Evo six steering rack, which is a half turn quicker lock to lock than the Evo three. Uh, Evo six control arms, which are a little wider track. Uh, they're aluminum. And then, of course, the final piece were dampers. The car has always been on um, really questionable suspension. I use Evo Eight parts uh, for the dampers because they're more widely available. And what I did in the back was to modify some lower arms and uh, build some custom lower arms that accept Evo Eight struts. So the the whole drivetrain sort of updated in a way that it will accept more popular parts and newer parts so the dampers now are a are three-way uh, adjustable with hydraulic pump stop and they're made by rssp and i haven't tested them yet and i know they're going to take some time to set up so i hope to do a couple of practice events before so all in all like this thing should be way better and just a general tidying of the car too uh, little things that go a long way, like splash guards that I didn't have before, so the car got muddy inside. Um, you know, so, yeah, a, a bunch of work, and, and you know, it, it, it's like three years of tinkering slowly and saving money to get this stuff. And, uh, it it's, that,
1: it's that whole sum of the parts versus one big change kind of thing. Like you done, yeah, a lot yeah. of little things.
2: Yeah, and I've got to test the brakes. I did a track day with the brakes; and they're way better. Um, the dampers. what i found with the old dampers was that even when you come way down in the spring rate they were still over damped because they were designed for a heavier car you know evo 8's probably 500 pounds heavier and uh so you put these soft springs on for bumpy tarmac and you're still like you're not really using the spring uh, the damper's so slow it's you're still like it feels like you have stiff springs, but you don't. So what happened in Mount Washington was you'd hit a series of these, like, frost heaves, and the car would just, like, basically bounce in the air, and just skipping like a rock across the, uh, the road. It just it was a real handful, and it was hard to hold the wheel. Uh, so I just I, I thought to myself that, like, stock suspension would probably be better than what I had. So that was the way I started this process. I was like, I'll just find something that's very soft. Uh, and then work my way up. Or, and I'm not convinced what I have now is the right solution, but I think it's probably a separate
1: way. Well, sometimes you got to remember that the uh, people who built the car originally engineered a certain way for a certain reason. So, <laughs>
2: absolutely. <laughs> when yeah. You, know, I mean, when you
1: go making changes. You can certainly make improvements, but you can also go backwards if you do the wrong thing. So,
2: yeah. It's like the worst news for a tuning shop, but like the the way to go when you're a car owner. Trust that engineers did their job.
1: Right, and like you said, you did a lot of little changes, and that's you know better a lot of times than starting from scratch. I mean, you had a proven car, you yeah. Second in class, you finished like <clears throat> fifth overall. You did, you did pretty damn well with the setup you had before. So there's no reason to uh, to fix what's not broken, just improve on what you have. So yeah,
2: everything, everything aside from the suspension, I would put in that category. The suspension, I'm not saying I have it right, but if I were to have it right, if I had a team like Vermont Sports Car and experts like them on chassis setup, there is easily, easily a minute in the car to like take off. The right. car would be super fat. But not necessarily with me driving, but the car would be very competitive. Uh, we're not talking like second place, we're just saying like time wise, because the margin between me and first place was quite big. Uh, so yeah, I mean, for example, um, we were able to bring our friend Franz Diebold up, uh, who did all the ECU tuning for us, and he would do some data logging for us after each run, and he would look at you know, how often we were flooring the gas, right? Like, just look at throttle position. It's a really simple way to know if you're if you're giving it, like, 20% throttle the whole time, there's no reason to turn up the boost, right? So we did some very basic analysis like that. And I ran 300 horsepower basically the whole weekend. And it was 14 pounds of boost. I had another 200 horsepower available, but I just didn't use it because the suspension wasn't good enough. So,
1: well, I'm sure anybody listening probably knows the feeling of driving a car with like a blown out suspension, where if you're going around a turn and you hit an undulation or a bump on the road, the car wants to skitter left or right, which probably is very similar to the feeling yeah, you exactly. had in the car being, being oversprung and under dampered. Yep. Yep. So that's similar, similar thing to having blown out suspension on a street car. It's, it's yeah, sketchy it's like, you're on a high speed on ramp and you get bad suspension and the car starts bouncing and. You're just along for the ride at some point.
2: The way it like translates into grip, if you ignore the bouncing part is like, if you're in the middle of a, tor- a turn and you're on pretty grippy pavement and the car feels set up and you're set into the turn and there's like a stripe of gravel and it just does like a little walk on you. Like that's, that's the sensation you get when the car is leaving the ground and you're in the middle of this turn. Like it just like starts stepping and stepping and stepping in, in unpredictable ways.
1: And that's certainly not a comfortable feeling on a cliffside height. No, no <laughs> maximum attack run. <laughs> it's,
2: not. Yeah, it's not. So you know, we'll see. There could be some surprises in here. Maybe this is really going to pay off, and, and you know, the placing is the same, or, or maybe the placings weren't. But I think thirty seconds off my time. Really.
1: No, I'm I'm super excited for this year's event, and I really hope it goes off when it's planned to go off because that's. You know, peak peak time in New England, and I plan on flying back to to be be at the event, so it will be definitely.
2: I really, I really hope it happens too. And you know, I was just on a, a call about New England bike racing and all the races this year, pretty much. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to maintain hope that the event will happen. So let's see. I feel everything, like anything. Everybody. More, anything.
1: Everybody, 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 stay home and uh, get healthy. Yeah, so we can have, we can have a good life. job. Yeah, yeah do <laughs> a good job.
2: See this through. We need to do this.
1: Yeah, for <laughs> sure. It'll, it'll make life a lot better in the nearer future. So that's, uh Yeah, yeah. For, for yeah. this and, and every car event, and every bike event, and every every outdoor event. So
2: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I mean, every it. We got a communication a week ago that said we're on until the hosts say we're not. The host being Mount Washington,
1: and is are, are they government run, government funded? Must be right. Uh,
2: no, it's a
0: private
1: road. Oh, isn't that weird? That's very weird. It's owned
2: by a family.
0: Yeah, it's a it, private toll road.
2: Yeah, hmm. surprisingly not the longest private toll road, which is Mount Equinox. here are in for some trivia. It's also in Vermont. Well, not that's in Vermont, not Hampshire.
1: Oh, maybe it's actually maybe it's actually better for this kind of event to be privately
0: owned than government owned. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, could (laughs) be.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I know. I know they did have to close Tuckerman's up there for skiing. So.
2: Oh wow. Yeah, I think like the rest of it is public land, right? Like it's a state park. Um, Yeah. But the road is private. Just, just strange. New Hampshire. Live free, right? Yep.
1: Exactly.
2: So if worst case, let's hope that they push it a year right? and not three.
1: Yeah, that would be awful. That'd be a lot of people pretty upset spending a lot of money prepping cars. and, and getting Yeah. Cars. The pro- problem is going to get to a point where it's a point of no return where you have to cancel it because people are going to have accommodations and rental vehicles and rental, you know, stuff yeah. and it's just there's too many moving parts to not cancel it ahead of time so
2: right right i mean we're, we're probably there i mean all the all the uh lodgings book you
1: know, right stuff.
2: so you know you buy fuel if you buy a dollar fuel and it's a thousand dollars you're just gonna sit on it for three years and, you know, like
1: yeah not a good plan
2: no I think we'll know more. We'll know more. And even even a month I bet we'll know more. See how this is going.
0: Uh, Alright, so um as far as climb the clouds, that's very cool. But I know in the last couple of years you've been doing some JDM importing of cars. That's right. Yeah. And I kinda wanted to talk about that a little bit because you've had a couple early WRX STIs, which is interesting. And one of them is a blue 555 car. That's correct. Which I don't really know a whole heck of a lot about. If you want to talk about that car.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, this blue one is a 95. It's a version 2. It's a 555 edition, which is... Sort of interesting. Like They made 500 of them and uh, they they dolled up a regular STI version to a little bit. It got the RA uh, roof vent, uh, got speed line wheels, uh, it's got the 53C blue color. And I think those are the main differentiators between that. In a regular STI version, too. Uh, so it very, also had, had an optional sticker pack that you could get, and uh, the dealer would apply it, uh, which was that like full 555 uh, So, which the, if, the, that blue color is like the, you know, the famous
1: Colin McRae car, right? Yeah. Blue, yeah. yeah.
2: The, which is funny thing because the original Pro Drive blue was a Reno color. And it was happened to be what they had on hand and it was uh meth to eels and that that was the name of this blue and it was a lot brighter than 53c which is like almost a navy in some light uh, but somehow eventually they landed on this darker color but if you look at some of the very early pro drive gc8s they were like a, a much brighter blue than this one
1: Closer to the World Rally Blue, or?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, w- it was closer. It, w- it was different still, but definitely closer. I-, I-, I preferred the Reno color to the World Rally Blue. Uh, but yeah, so that's three like very distinctive and, and famous blue colors for one car, which is interesting.
1: I don't think I've noticed the earlier cars being brighter, but I'm not quite as deep in the minutia of it. Not owning
2: well, one, so I yeah, <laughs> can really nerd out on all this stuff for sure. So the V the V2 was different than the V1 in a, in, in a few ways. The V1, which is the silver car I had, uh, was was they was if you look at it in a certain light, it was a prototype, and what that meant for Subaru was that they. Uh, took a WRX which started GC8 WRX was starting in 93 and uh, so for 94 they said let's make an STI they took WRX's off the production line brought them to the STI factory plant as you call a it, plant it wasn't really a factory uh, and uh, basically rebuilt them they took the engine out The version one had a different head. It was like a lightweight valve train, hand-ported head, forged pistons. Uh, Really cool. Like a really cool closed deck, two liter. And then when you went from the version one to the version two, Subaru had made their case for producing the STI. So the version two was made on a production line. Mm. And uh, the engine, now the, the engine badge read, uh, tuned by STI, whereas on the version one it said hand built and tuned by STI. So the version one was like a super cool car because they hadn't like fully figured out what they were doing. It was probably really expensive to make. The wing was aluminum. Uh, it was just it was really cool, really neat, neat car. And uh, I bought that one to sell though, so I had to stick to it and, and not keep too many cars around. Yeah. A cartoon, a guy who's become my friend in Pennsylvania and kept the blue one. And, uh, you know, as you guys probably saw over the course of the year, I restored the blue one.
1: Yeah. It didn't, it didn't need a full restoration, but you definitely put a lot of work into, into cleaning it up nicely.
2: So. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's right. Like the body, I would say was pretty full. But I didn't do the engine or transmission or suspension. Um, cleaned up quite a bit, but the engine it was running, so and it's running nice. So I didn't want to take it apart and
1: And it's a neat car. It's it's kind of like you had the early car, which is desirable, and then the one of five hundred five 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 car, which is desirable. Yeah, it's hard to choose which one you want more.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it's funny the the um, the. Version one uh, had a, a sticker like it was a, a uh rally tribute badge on it, and uh, I want to get this right. It was like said like one of 25 or whatever uh, on this badge, and the way Subaru did it was they probably didn't know how many they were gonna make, so they they made one of 25, but then the next month they made another 25. And the next month, they made, so all these people have these badges that are one of 25, one 25, but it was just repeating every month. So they had a production number set for each month and they hit it and they reset. And do it again. Hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's almost kind of like the uh, American market lot VR4s that are all numbered totally, but, but it really doesn't mean anything. They just stuck them on at the port later on, they're not, yeah, they're not in
2: production order at all. So it was actually uh 100. 100. Uh per month. So they made twelve hundred per version one. Okay. Five hundred of these uh five five versions two and then all of the RA, like you see there's Subaru has so many designations. Like for Evo is a T you get R S and G S R. but For Subaru there's so many more. There's yeah, the RA is basically the R S. Except with Subaru the, the Right. So they were all custom. So you can get RAs with uh, some of them that would have extra options, I guess, of your, the others wouldn't. But they were like the lightweight racing version. Uh, and those often came through with the hand built engines way in the beginning. Like an WRX R A is an example of that. And that was around before the STI, but it also had the hand built engine.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's neat that 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 era of of homologation cars is just is really cool and especially for the you know the the Halo cars pretty much of the the Evo and the STI at the time is the amount of stuff that changed every year and the improvements that they made and it was they really neat cars to to get really deep into and learn about because there was certainly a cool era.
2: I I, I love it. Because I, I like to think about you know, you, you see these, you hear, you know, learning about Ferrari or something. Oh, everyone has a little different, and I can place the the production time based on this stitch weld was changed. And who would have ever thought that with a Subaru you could get almost into that level of detail with you know, things just, being handmade and production being 500 or, or 400 in some cases? It's just it's
1: crazy. Yeah, it's definitely not the kind of vehicle you'd expect, but. Right maybe maybe a normal everyday person wouldn't expect not somebody who's been yeah in, this, in these junks forever so <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's
1: right so as, as far as importing a, a jdm car i mean i know you've done it a few times now three or four yeah anyway. yeah in
2: uh, all different ways <laughs> yeah have
1: have you have you taken the dive and, and done it without a broker yet or are you still uh
2: no uh in in no, I don't think I ever will um, because there's so much value to having one. And, and, you know, I think it was Brad that connected me with Craig. Yep. Uh, who I talk to almost every day now, and he's become a good friend of mine. Um, what a great guy. And, and how difficult it is to find um, someone like him in this industry, unfortunately, very, very hard. But uh, yeah, his service is invaluable. Uh, I guess speaking generally, if you were an American and you wanted to participate in an auction in Japan, you need someone to place a bid for you. And that person is going to be in Japan uh, at the auction. So if you don't know that person directly, and I don't know who, how you would, uh, you need to. Hire someone from the U.S. that does, like, you know, Top Rank or, or any of these companies that do that. There's a lot of. They're popping up everywhere now. There's a lot of.
1: Yeah, which is a problem uh, too because picking the right one is.
2: Absolutely, you know. yeah. And so I say I, I would never would do it without someone. It's because for one, you, you really can't. Uh, and, and two, there aren't many people you can trust. Uh. There's a few models I think that these these guys operate on. One is like the, the they take the risk model, and then if it pays off for them, they sell you a car at uh, a high margin, right? Like when you see uh, a GTR that's forty thousand dollars, and the prices are always fluctuating, let would say it's forty. You know, you can probably assume they're making ten grand on that car somewhere around there uh but if you wanted to accept some risk and you do due diligence with someone uh like like craig for example who is like a, a smaller uh dealer um, and you assume that risk with that person and they say listen we've we've had the car inspected it looks good everything looks right," nice, but I'm charging you a fee instead of selling you this car. Uh, you can get one for less, but you know you also take on some risk. Yeah, you're, you you're, own. yeah
1: you're still buying the car, so you're buying it right. unseen no matter what. Right. So, yeah, I, I would recommend Greg to anybody. He's always has been he's always been a good guy, and um, I've been talking to him all the time about bringing a car over. And hopefully this year, or well, this year has changed a bit now, but maybe next year I will be myself. So.
2: Nice. I'll be, yeah. I'll be
0: using Craig for sure. And
2: that's uh, Craig Pollock of Bonsai Rides. In case
0: anybody's. Yep. Yeah, I was listening. just gonna say, what was Craig? What's Craig's company? I don't mind plugging it here.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's Bonsai Rides. Uh, his website's not always updated, but he's not a website guy, so just give him a call, no. <laughs> email him, call, or call him, and talk it. to him. Yeah.
2: He's got a I
1: recommend. Yeah, my my dealings with him have been great. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on him, but he's the kind of guy where we had a little issue with paperwork, not his fault. And we wound up at his house for a lot longer than we were supposed to be. And his, his wife made us dinner.
2: So <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. So, yeah. So like there's other ways, right. You know, uh, uh, you could try to do it yourself. You could, I, I just, I don't even know how without the connections that someone would, would do that. Um, I worked with a different broker uh, for another car, and uh, it worked out. But I, after the transaction was over, uh, this was some time ago, I realized how exposed I was about at all points of the transaction, to the point where, like, this guy could have just disappeared off the face of the earth with my money, and I would have had almost no recourse. I didn't know what his, where his business was. I didn't know anything. Uh, and it happened to work out. But... Um, you know, you can you can do direct if, if if you're not buying a car at auction and there's a lot of reasons to, to look in different places, right? So if you're buying a race car, it's a real person to person transaction. The price is set, you can negotiate. Uh, race cars are generally easier to import. Um, so that would just be a different scenario. You wouldn't necessarily need a broker, although you'd probably want a customs broker on, on, on your end to do the paperwork. Uh, once it arrives in port and to make sure everything's uh, taken care of in that that department. Um, If you want to buy a car in Canada that was 25 years old, you could just go get it and drive it back and claim it at the border and they charge you tax and you drive over. Yeah. That's probably the simplest way. (laughs) Yeah. It's super easy.
1: Um, Except the fact the cars there have been there for 10 years and they're right. (laughs) Canadian rusty. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's like New England times. 10. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, and uh, I have another car coming. It's a, another STI. It's a version 3. It'll be for sale. Uh, it generally takes about a year to find a good car, too. So if you think you're the kind of person that wants to buy a, a certain model, give yourself plenty of runway because it takes a long time. Um, We've probably bid on 30 cars uh, in the last couple of years and bought three. So so, so the ratio looks.
1: Well, you're talking about a car like an STI, too. You're talking about a a commodity that's desirable, you know, a GTR, an Evo, an STI. These are the cars that people know what people want. There's a much larger pool of people trying to buy them, so.
2: Yeah. The good yeah, cars and,
1: do go for more money and they go fast.
2: They do, and when the the car hits twenty-five, the price almost doubles yep. because the US market open. And I think that's why you see a lot of these uh, Japanese car dealers in the States, like down south, they have all these kind of like non-desirable sedans that are, you know, in the ten thousand dollar range. Because it's, it's hard to fill inventory. It's hard for that they need to keep turning cars over. There just aren't enough clean Evos out there. Uh, incidentally, EVOS are like double the money of STIs. Or like that. Yeah, I've noticed. Don't know why. Um, I think the price will come down with Evo Four because there are so many Evo Fours out there. Once we once those are legal.
1: Well, I've been I've been watching the Evo One, Two, Three market pretty closely because that's what I'm in the market yeah. for essentially. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed that as each generation car comes up, the last generation falls off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So, like an Evo two is now less than an Evo three, rightfully so, because Mm -hmm. Evo three is now legal. So, and I'm not, I'm not sold myself on a one, two, or a three. It's going to be whichever one I find the nicest of. Yeah, when I'm ready to jump. So, I think that uh, I, I, I'm waiting for the Evo four. Might help me in the Evo three market, possibly, Mm -hmm. if the trend goes the same. We'll see how it works. Yeah. So. They do. They do come up. Yeah, they do. I've I've watched a few and gone, ah, not
2: yet. (laughs) I've seen a few for sale here that were really clean, and basically the same price that you could land one here yourself for. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you can get one under twenty grand, you're doing really well. Especially if you can inspect it here in person, that's extra insurance. Yeah, there's
1: been there's been a few pretty clean ones I've seen in the eighteen eighteen. Yeah, yeah. uh, That's. While while not cheap is not out of the realm of a possibility as right. well, but, you know, right.
2: I, I got
1: to
2: no, get there probably. before I hit 30. <laughs> you know, once we're out of the current situation, we're in the market, rebounds a little bit. I think we're going to start seeing pretty incredible prices for STIs and EVOs. Um, you know, we've seen Lantias go from 20 and 30 up to $100,000 in only four or five years.
1: Yeah, that's what's scaring me about waiting.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. And and I think it'll happen with all of them, too. Like the whole Group A uh, homologation period. They're just gonna get really-
1: yeah, I've been I've been following um, follow the Group A hashtag on Instagram. Um, and it's recently, like, tripled in activity. Yeah,
2: really. I don't know what no the purpose,
0: well, what the purpose no is or why it is, but it certainly has. We're gonna have, uh, $12, going to have $12,000 Glant VR4s. <laughs> Hey,
1: I mean, like a lot VR4 is hopefully going to help fund the purchase of this Evo, so we'll see what happens.
2: It's such a funny subject, the Galant, because the prices never changed on that car. No one cares.
1: They've, they've so- they recently they've gone up a little.
2: Have they really? Yeah, to, yeah like, on really nice bands? ones. Yeah,
1: yeah, really, really written re- a really, really clean car as we've seen some in the teens. So, yeah, and, Ooh, sold, and are, sold for not asking.
2: Really,
0: yeah, what did that? Yeah. Find what was
1: that idea. one on Bat? That was a. Oh, well, Bat is always an outside case. I think.
0: Um, yeah, but that was it. Was a really nice car, though. I think you bought it for thirteen or fifteen grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything sub
1: hundred thousand miles that hasn't been modified heavily. Um, that's you know a solid Southern car, not a New England yeah. car. Has has so been like going eight to 10 now, yeah, yeah eight eight to ten for you know a hundred thousand and more over that so. Finally. I mean, it is. It is good. I mean, honestly, even the eclipses and talons are going up that way now. So, wow, I, I think that it's it's finally. Yeah. Hey, okay. I, I mean, the same car essentially. Yeah. So I think the whole we always go back to Mitsubishi because that's our thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. just where we stick. But even low mile clean Starions for a while were up in the high twenties for a little bit. For oddly enough, you know, yeah. for, for a sub. 40,000 mile cars, which is obviously a rare vehicle at this time, but still, for a long time, they were still two or three thousand bucks.
2: <laughs> Do you guys think a, a Gallant RS would be more valuable than a US market VR? For? No, I nope. always felt like it. No, yeah, it should be.
0: I don't think any of the imported Gallants really people find them to be worth anything. Like you probably end up losing on those for whatever reason, they just don't take off very well.
1: Well the problem that's is funny. if you have a vehicle that's available in left hand drive, the market for owning that vehicle in right hand drive is less. And you can look at Toyota Supras or Acura NSXs in the same in the same That's uh, a good example. A yeah. right hand drive NSX is worth you know ten to fifteen percent less than a left hand drive one of the same Integra, mileage and the same value.
2: Integra type R is another one. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yep. So the, I, I think it's I think it's the right-hand drive case only makes sense if the vehicle was never sold as a left-hand drive car or not readily available as a left-hand drive car.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Given the amount of work that people put into Gallants, I feel like it's a no-brainer that you would buy a Japanese one and convert it to left-hand drive with U.S. parts. So it's not that easy. Well, I mean, but think about what people do with that with those cars. You know, they strip them all the way. They do... You know, the rear steering delete and subframe bushing and all this crazy stuff all the time. A, a and you can get a car without any of that junk in it right away with a limited slip rear diff, 16G, the, the, the right bumpers, everything. It's
1: great. The only problem is it requires cutting the firewall out to do right to left hand drive in those cars. Mm. So. It's not It's not a simple process. I, I, I can tell you from my gallant, somebody actually bought a front clip and tried to turn mine into a right-hand drive car for some wow. reason. Um, and it only exists today because our friend Jeremy bought the car as a right-hand drive and bought a rusty, junk, left-hand drive American market car and actually cut the firewall out of both cars to put the left-hand drive firewall yeah. back, back in That's my car.
2: Much,
1: and it was a lot of... If yeah, well, if you have a, a few extra moments and you want to watch a ridiculous thread, uh, <laughs> he the amount of work you put into switching this thing to left hand drive is, is it's 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 awe inspiring, honestly. Really? Yeah, it's a lot of work. So yeah,
2: that sounds like too much.
1: It's not that simple. I would buy a right hand drive Vf4 because you can get them fairly inexpensively because they were hundreds of thousands
0: of them, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and probably the cleanest way to get one in the U.S. now because none of them are that nice anymore. Yeah, right. They're like, what was you in far between?
2: Yeah, I, everything about the uh, U.S. car that I don't like is not on the Japanese car, so it's very attractive to me even though it's right-hand drive.
1: Yeah, cloth seats and limited slips.
2: Yeah. Those are the yeah, big
1: things. Perfect. yeah. Yeah.
2: And the good bumpers. I just I can't stand the US bumpers. See, at this point I
0: keep my US bumpers because everybody's changing them out.
2: Yeah, you should. <laughs> so. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And
1: also Someday. the Japanese market Japanese market cars are available two tone, which is cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that is cool. Anyway, they come up every now and then and I always wonder it seems risky. Like a, a first gen legacy is they're worth a fortune. Uh R S. But the Gallant, uh, it's it's brother from another mother. Still no respect.
1: Well, Mitsubishi doesn't get the same respect as Subaru does in all of the no. the markets for some reason. I'll never understand. But oh, no. well, it's but it's funny because some of their cars are worth a good amount of money. You know, a, a wide body Starion in Australia or Japan or in in Europe is worth three times what it's worth here.
2: Yeah, such so, a good looking car too.
1: Right, but then here again, again there. Two or three grand for a decent car with some miles on it. You know, maybe four or five now, but at the most you're paying five grand for a driver quality car. And that same yeah. car in Australia is ten to fifteen thousand dollars American. Which wow. is I yeah. can't
2: remember even seeing one for sale in years.
1: Oh, this be, being in the market, <laughs> there's tons of them.
2: <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I
1: I just gave one away.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> It's okay. not looking in the right place, I
1: guess. There there are a lot of them, yeah. You just need to... Just need to. When you're in the world of them, you see them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah it's just the way it works. I don't
0: see mm-hmm. a lot of hill-climb stuff. I'm not looking for it, so... Right. Then there's the Lancer GTO, which is super rare and expensive. Galant GTO. Galant GTO, that's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a few Mitsubishis that kind of break, break the mold, but as a general rule goes, they're a... Uh, they're always a discount alternative of another vehicle. You know, you, yeah. you, want, you want you want a Land Cruiser? Nah, buy a Montero or a right. Pajero. You know, you want uh a uh Mark I escort? No, buy a seventies Colt Rally car. It's the same Colt, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, right, right, They're, they're discount version of another vehicle. Like that's why I love mm-hmm. my seventies, my Lance, my Colt Lancers, because they drive a stock Colt Lancer drives like a stock Mark One, Mark II escort. It's yeah, the same a cool architecture. Point. It's the same kind of thing and in they and in they competed in rallies, but you know, an escort's twenty to thirty grand and uh yep. Colt is
0: twenty to thirty dollars. So <laughs> so it works out. Right. <laughs> I would love to import an AutoZam, an A Z one, before they get too terribly expensive. Yep.
2: Yeah. Those are neat. Small. I, I just, don't I don't know if they fit in one very well, but they're
0: I
1: mean, I yeah. I fit in one. I sat in one, and I'm not a small person, so I think he'd be fine.
2: Six That's three. pretty tall. Yeah, how, how tall are you? Uh, not quite as tall that's as you, but that's the that's the catch, I think. For, but who knows? I, I can slouch. Yeah. Just drive around with the door open. Exactly.
0: I mean, you yeah. want everybody to know it has gullwing doors. That's the whole point of having it.
2: Yeah, you got a floss. <laughs>
1: Uh, there's there's a few interesting cars out there that i'd like to import and most of them obviously being mitsubishis but i just i just haven't done it yet because the time has never been right and every time i've almost done it i've bought something here you know i was Uh, i was working with craig to import a lot vr4 actually probably five or six years ago and then before i did it i bought another car here because it came up and i'm Mm -hmm. involved and couldn't handle not buying the car here and then the money's gone so i just haven't done it yet i need to i need to I need to do it so
2: we've uh, looked at a lot of different cars uh you know any anything from mercedes uh 190 to uh pulsars um k cars uh what's the um dangan zz
1: yeah, the Mitsubishi Micca again. Yeah, I, and, I, dro- I drove one of those a couple years ago. That was it cer- certainly didn't didn't help the need to buy one, so. Yeah,
2: yeah. I know I, mean, I know it it's but it's interesting.
0: I've heard Mini Coopers are good to source from Japan. Yeah, there's tons of them over there. Yeah, there's in in
2: uh there's tons of every uh, Lancia's apparently too, right? And E30 M3's. There's a, a lot of those over there too.
0: Yeah, but again, the problem with an, M, an E30 M3 is getting it over here. Is it right hand or left hand drive, right? It's going to be. If they're all left hand oh, drive. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, which is cool. And I think the Lancia's are left hand drive too. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Anyway, there's a lot of interesting cars ripe for the picking over there because it's so expensive to own an older car over there that they get sold. So, Yep. it's definitely uh, definitely worth it for our market where it's actually cheaper to own an older car.
2: That's true.
1: Significantly, I think the I think the insurance on my daily driver is as much as the insurance on five old cars. So,
2: just a yeah, and I, I discovered the uh, the joys of. Uh, antique auto insurance this year that's yeah, great awesome. oh yeah oh it's yes so good yeah it's great I,
1: I can't say enough about how haggard he's been for me so
2: yeah yeah i good. wasn't gonna plug them but that's who i use it's I, awesome. I i i
1: i give them enough money every month that i'm totally fine with <laughs> plugging them because they, they, they they're a good company
2: and i tried they, they, to they, uh sorry go ahead
1: well the thing is is that they get what it is to be a car enthusiast that wants to use their vehicle. A lot of the other companies right. don't want you to use your car. Yeah, the is okay with you using it. So Yeah,
2: they are. And uh I think they understand also that you're trying not to crash. Exactly. Cuz you like the car, so yeah, it seems like you're Yeah. Good yeah, organization. They're...
1: And people I've met from inside the company, I know that we we di- Andrew and I do a lot of those Radwood shows, like you went to one, in Boston, yeah, yeah, uh, and Haggerty's big involved with that. So, we've met some people that actually work for Haggerty, and they're all you know, not every person there's a car person, but a lot of Mar, and that's that helps a lot. So, anyway, I'm talking Haggerty, yeah, onward, onward, on <onward>.
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> Andrew, type out a form email, you need to call them,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was great having you on again. Thanks, man. Um, is there any uh, anything you want to plug? Any place you want people to find you? Is there going to be a new livery on the car this year?
2: I don't know, man. You know, I have talked to a couple people about it, and uh, yeah, I, I hope so. Maybe, maybe to some limited degree. There's nothing on it right now. It's a blank slate. Um, have you guys seen Final Tenth, which used to be We the Terrors?
1: Yeah. yeah, I just got a package yeah. from him last week,
2: <laughs> so I've been talking to him a little bit, and uh, it would be cool for for them to help design something. But yeah, we're going to be coming into crunch time soon, so we'll see. Right? Uh,
1: Are you still involved yeah. with the same company from last year or seventeen?
2: Uh, wait, sorry, say again.
1: Are you still involved with the same company, the sponsor from before?
2: Uh, no, I. Okay. So, I got wheels before. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing.
1: No, there was a the, the, the dog company I didn't want to.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm involved in that. It's my wife's business.
1: That's what I thought, but I
0: wasn't
2: 100% yeah.
1: positive, and I didn't want to plug yeah, something yeah, yeah, that yeah. wasn't cool anymore. No.
2: <laughs> so, 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 the old <laughs>
1: livery was the Happy Dogs in the Windows for Beantown House. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she is uh, very supportive of all this crazy stuff. So. so, yeah, I have her support, and, you know, I'll, I'll give her that worldwide recognition. Valuable lands, landscape on the side there.
1: Yeah, well, it was it was whimsical too. Like it was neat looking. So
2: yeah, and uh, so uh, an artist named like Dana Pasek did that, and she's on Instagram, and she's really awesome. And we basically like communicated that we wanted a bunch of dogs like hanging out of the car, and going on a trip somewhere, and she pulled it off. And and also like vinyls so expensive that. Um, to do a whole car is like thousands of dollars. Yes. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. I mean, I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to pay for it. So um, I tried to find something that would be like somewhat limited uh, in cost and in in difficulty to apply. So that's what we came up with. There were some um, limiting factors there. So she did a great job with what I what I envisioned. And, um, yeah, it was fun fun working with her too. Yeah, we'll see. It might be something completely different this time. I don't know. I'd like to do a throwback kind of looking thing.
1: Like a classic Mitsubishi scheme?
2: Yeah, maybe. That's what I was thinking. But It would have to be like a not well-known one, maybe.
1: Well, there's definitely some cool ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, where where can people find uh, people find you on the internet? Any place that they want to see pictures of your
2: car? uh, If they're into cars, they probably want to follow car uh, account, which is uh, pleasure evo uh, with two e's. So pleasure and evo, no spaces. Um, That's on Instagram. That's really that's it. If you want to hear me yell at the president, you can follow me on Twitter. But you don't want to do (laughs) that.
1: Actually, Andrew, Andrew, I need to, to open a Twitter account for this podcast. We never know. Uh,
0: maybe. <laughs>
2: the <bandwidth> for it. <laughs> Don't do that. It's a hell site. and It'll make you depressed.
1: Well, it's a, it's, a, it's just extra extra eyeballs and ears. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> fine, all right. Twitter's
2: an interesting place. There's a lot of uh, journalists on there that are really interesting.
1: Um, yeah, I actually I uh, was at Radwood in Austin just before this whole World changing event kind of happened. Um, the road in, in, yeah, in February. And a friend of mine belongs to a uh, a part of Twitter called the uh, Weird Car Twitter.
2: Yeah. I think I might be like not a part of it, but I, I might, you know, it might be infecting my timeline a little bit.
1: Yeah. And we, a bunch of them got together and, and our friend Bradley invited us to go with him. And, uh, so I met a bunch of, bunch of those people and, uh, they're all like, on the outskirts of, of automotive counterculture and r- world counterc- counterculture and they're, they're a good group of people. It was fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That We're talking about the same thing here. I've, I found this area.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm not so on Twitter. So I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Instagram's good for now. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll try to do some updates on that. And every time these events around everything is better like the cell phone service is better uh available platforms to communicate are better uh, technology to use to communicate is better so i don't know we more videos more maybe some live stuff if we have service pit. Um, excellent more in car yeah so uh yeah that's it i guess i, mean, I have a youtube channel but it's it's kind of lame so just right, well, me really-
1: they can see your video of uh on prime anyway so what's yeah. what what
2: is
1: what is the youtube channel
2: uh the, <laughs> my youtube channel i think it's just my name uh right, and and the the one that the video was on is like uh totally different it's uh autologic or something and that they they were the ones that sponsored the um the crew and soon after, they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is a race. Ooh, we're we can't get behind that." And they're like, "Take it down." And, and Nick had to make some changes, so so they didn't take it down. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, like we sell emissions control equipment. Like this, you guys are, you can't do this.
0: Huh? That's that's a weird turn of events.
2: Yeah, it was very strange
0: yeah, some companies get weird like that. They think that if you crash or something and you're they're the sponsor of you, you're people going to like sue them or something. It's weird.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. I, it, a long time ago, I had no feel for that. But now that I work for a larger company, I totally understand why you would never want to put your company associate your company with an amateur effort of any kind. You would want it to be you want to latch on to something that has a proven track record of professionalism at the very least. It doesn't yeah. have to be success. It has to be professionalism.
1: The Pleasure Evo doesn't have an HR department.
2: Ooh, Pleasure Evo, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's also it's a wild card. Anything could happen.
0: Excellent. All right, great. Uh, so you can follow Auto Off Topic podcast on Facebook as always. Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Brad, where can they find you uh, on Instagram at tsiss three five zero? And you follow me? race and anger on Instagram I've been posting some throwback photos from rallies because from like 10 years ago because they never made it to Instagram before so uh, that's kind of fun Uh, and uh, thank you and as always you can keep cars analog and aim for the roses